Well, in my home, there's something that we like to do uh, around our dinner table called highs and lows. Now, highs and lows is a way really for us to go around and share kind of what happened during our day, the highs and the lows. So when we get to the point where we are going to share our high for the day, we may share something like uh, a great project that we finished around the house. It could be a fun family bike ride uh, that we were able to have, or it could be seeing a friend around town or at the store. And then we take time uh, to listen to each other as we also share a low Something maybe that wasn't as happy, but that was more of a disappointment. Something that we went through. This could be something like one of my kids getting in trouble uh, for one of the times that they weren't listening. It could be a time that uh, things didn't go as planned and we were disappointed. Or it could be something like missing a friend from summer camp or from school. But whatever it is, it's helpful to talk through both of those things, the highs and the lows. And as we look around us in our lives, as we go through day to day and week to week, there are so many things we have to be thankful for. There are so many things around us that are just big blessings. We praise God for his gift of salvation to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We thank God for the blessing of a church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can come together, that we can build God's kingdom together and we can enjoy one another's fellowship and encourage each other and then not even to mention all of the other good and perfect gifts that come down from God above there are so many things that we have in our lives to be thankful for however there are some things that we come across in life that really don't fit in that high category there are some things in our lives that really are difficult. There are times when we encounter evil in our world. And what do we do when we come across some of those effects of sin? Some of those things that we just don't know what to do with. How should we handle, for example, the injustices that happen around the globe each day? For example, I came across a story this last week, of a young girl. A young girl who faced one such unimaginable circumstance. There was a teacher visiting this 14-year-old girl's home on an island there in the Caribbean to follow up on the girl's schoolwork while she's in uh, quarantine as well, just like we are. To follow up with that schoolwork, but she found out from the girl's mother that the girl was no longer in the home because she was now married. And this was a real big surprise to the teacher. The teacher reached out to the principal of the school, uh, and the principal happened to be a pastor of a local church. And this pastor had been trained by the International Justice Mission to kind of look out for examples or signs that there may be injustice going on. So they started to investigate, and what they found out was sad. This 14-year-old, not only did she get married, but she came under the control of this 58-year-old man that she married. She'd been forced into an enslavement situation through this marital union in the island there in the south of the Caribbean. So officials, just a few weeks ago, on June 25th, around 11 p.m., officials went 
broke in and found, uh, confirmed a flagrant crime of aggression. They rescued the teenager and they arrested the 58-year-old man. That's so sad. It's a heartbreaking story. And unfortunately, it's not an isolated incident. It's not just one thing that happened all by itself because in Latin America alone, millions of girls under the age of 18 are forced into child marriage. You know, that's just one example of evil that's happening in our world. Our hearts break with God's heart over the abortion that happens every day, killing untold numbers of babies. Our hearts break with those who experience different forms of discrimination or racism. Our hearts desire justice when we hear of refugees who have to flee their homes and have to flee their countries just to stay alive. Our hearts desire justice when we see people that are in power in places like school systems, in politics, or even in churches. People in power who abuse those positions of power. And what do we do with that? What do we do when we encounter these examples of evil or injustice in our world? Do we ignore it? Do we hope that someone else will deal with it? Do we just shut our eyes and pretend like it, we never heard about it because we don't know what to do throwing our arms up in hopelessness? In the face of these hard things, I do have some good news about this. And that good news is that the Bible is not silent about these matters. The Bible doesn't just pretend that these injustices aren't happening. For centuries, God's people have seen these evils and have been able to respond to them, to respond to that evil in our world. Today, we're going to take a look at a shepherd named David who responded to a form of evil that was going on in his world. Before we do that, let me go ahead and pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we face the hard reality of evil in our world. Lord, the effects of sin seem to be everywhere. Lord, as we come before you today, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, as we see your word here in Psalms, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Lord, that we would be able to see your heart in regards to these things and that you would give us wisdom about how we can respond to the evil in our world. Lord, speak to us today. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look to God's word to see the ways that God's people over the years handled injustice, we're going to see in our passage today, as we continue in our series through the book of Psalms, we're going to see in this psalm today three responses to the evil that we encounter. The first biblical response to evil that we can take is this. Speak honestly to God about the evil. Speak honestly to God about the evil that you encounter. You know, this last weekend I had a great opportunity to spend some extra time with my kids. We were able to uh, go out, get some food to eat, 
And we took it to a local park. We were able to walk around the lake at Jericho Lake, a beautiful spot here in Aurora. And uh, after that, we went home and uh, we wanted to watch a movie, so we turned on a superhero movie, one of the Marvel movies. So we turned it on and we were watching it and uh, my daughters were enjoying it uh, until we got kind of close to the end. And at that point, my daughters started to get a little bit unsure about this movie. Because, you see, at the end of this movie, it really begins to look like the villain is going to win. It looks like Iron Man is going to be defeated, and all the things that he's fighting for are going to be demolished. And so my daughter, Piper, she came up right next to me, and she started being honest about what she was seeing. And I'll be truthful with you, her words were not very positive at that point. She started to tell me things like, why are we watching this movie? This is the worst movie that we've ever made. The bad guy, he's going to win. The bad guy is going to win. Now, she hadn't seen all the way to the end of the movie, but in that moment, she was convinced that evil would triumph. And I think the same is true sometimes for us in our own lives. In our own lives, sometimes we see the things going on around us, and we notice that things are not right. This is not how it should be. That shouldn't be happening in our world. When we see those things that are not just things that go against the character of God. What should our conversation with God look like at that point? What should our prayer life look like when we're seeing things in the world that are not right? Let's take a look at this passage. We are in Psalm chapter 12, and I'm going to start at the very beginning in verse 1. It says this, To the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm, of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors. With flattering lips and double heart they speak. This is the injustice that David sees. This passage is written by David, who became the king of Israel after being a shepherd boy when he was growing up. Now, we're not exactly sure when David wrote this psalm. He may have wrote this psalm when he was uh, trying to stay alive and King Saul was trying to kill him. Saul had lied about David uh, to manipulate the leaders and in return, the people were lying to Saul. The whole thing was a big mess. Or David could have written this uh, during his son Absalom's rebellion. His son rebelled, seduced Israel with his lies, uh, and uh, staged a military coup, really that was marked by things like espionage, betrayal, and misdirection. But whenever it was that David wrote this psalm, he was really struggling to cope with what was going on. Now when we speak honestly to God about the things that aren't going well in our lives, we call that a lament. A lament, and this Psalm 12 is called a lament psalm. I'm reading a book right now called Weep With Me uh, by a a guy named uh, Mark Vrogop, and he writes this in his book. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Laments are more than merely the expression of sorrow. The goal of a lament is to recommit oneself to hoping in God 
believing his promises and a godly response to pain, suffering, and injustice. I love that. Let me repeat the beginning of that. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. But David calls out to God. He turns to the Lord. This is a prayer. He shares his honest perspective on the situation. As usual in these lament psalms, the psalm describes the situation. And in this situation, the particular kind of lies that are going on are lies of flattery, lies of insincere speech or a double heart, both of which manipulate others for the sake of gain. And in such an environment, the godly and the faithful become so rare that it seems as if they have disappeared. Either it's because they have been suppressed or because they've been seduced into lying themselves. But even as David shares his hardship with God, he prays in faith. Now how do we know that? How do we know that David is praying in faith and not just in despair and, and in not trusting God? Well, here is how we know. The very first word out of his mouth is save. David says save. He's asking God to save him because he knows that God can. He knows that God can save him. David is asking God to be the solution for his trouble. And you know what else is really interesting about this word save? This word save in Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word that would one day provide the name Joshua or Yeshua, or in English, as we say, Jesus, the Lord saves. In Matthew chapter 1, right at the beginning of the New Testament, an angel tells Joseph that he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, I don't think that's what David was thinking about when he said the word save. He wasn't thinking, hey, this is going to be the name for the Messiah that will come one day. But even as David cried out for salvation from God, God had a plan already in motion, getting ready to bring a Savior of the world named Jesus, the Lord saves. So what does it look like for us to apply this point? What does it look like for us to speak honestly to God about the evil that we encounter? When we hear about the estimated 20 to 40 million young people call in what you could call modern slavery or trafficking, we can take that before the Lord and say, this is wrong. I hate that this is happening, God. This is wrong. When we hear about politicians on any side of the aisle caught in uh, bribery schemes we can lament and bring that before the lord and say god i hate to see these abuses of power when we hear examples of police brutality or of people committing uh, injustice or crime or attacking law enforcement either way both of those we bring before the lord and say this is not right. I'm thankful for this biblical example of David speaking out honestly this honest prayer to God. But that's not where David stops. 
the first biblical response to evil that we can take is to speak honestly to God about that evil. And the second step that we can take, the second response to evil that we can have is to ask God to intervene. Ask God to intervene. Pastor Tony Evans tells a story of a time that he was in a building and got caught in an elevator, was trapped in an elevator with a group of other people. And as he tells his story, the elevator gets stuck and the buttons won't work and the elevator won't move and people inside the elevator started to panic. They started to bang on the walls and to scream, help, help, can somebody hear us? Will you save us? We're stuck in this elevator. And he said people just started to go crazy, getting claustrophobic, not sure how this whole thing was going to be resolved, how long they were going to be stuck in there. But what he tells in his story is the story of him walking over, flipping open a latch, pulling out a phone, and waiting for the voice on the other line. And sure enough, the voice picked up and said, Hello, is everything okay? And Tony Evans said, Hey, we're stuck here in this elevator between these two floors. Would you please come help us? And so they said, Yes, we'll be right there. And help came and helped to free them from their hostage situation. But here's the thing. So many people in that elevator, they forgot that they had a direct line to the security department that could help out in those situations. And you know what? Many times we forget the same thing. We forget because we get into a hard situation or we deal with a problem and we get so overwhelmed and we bang on the proverbial walls and we start screaming out, help, help, is anyone there to help me? And we forget that we can take it straight to the Lord. I can speak uh, to this myself. I've had uh, my own experiences of uh, wondering, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with this? And I remember times going on a prayer walk around the lake here in Aurora and saying, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do in this situation? And then, as I continued on realizing, you know what? I'm asking the wrong question. And my prayer turned into, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this, God? You are in control. I can trust you to take care of this. So what are you going to do? Would you please intervene in this area? And David, in our passage today, he picks up the proverbial emergency phone and asks God to intervene. Let's continue in verse 3. It says this, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Now what does David mean here by cutting off lips, cutting off tongues? Sounds like a pretty grotesque scene here. But the parallelisms here between verse 3 and verse 4 suggests that this is a figure of speech called a synecdoche, where uh, parts of the body refer to the whole person. We've all heard of this when uh, you've, you've heard the captain of a ship say, all hands on deck. And uh, what's he expecting to see? He's not just expecting to see some fingers and some thumbs. No, he wants to see the sailors come onto the deck to help out with whatever's going on. And in the same way, David here speaks of lips and tongues referring to flatterers 
and boasters themselves as people. And when we think about these consequences that David is asking for, cutting these people off from God's people or putting them to death, that may seem like a really harsh prayer until you realize the impact of false words, of flattery and bribery. Liars and boasters can do far worse damage by things like perverting the gospel. Those who listen to false teachers not only will maybe lose their lives, but they will lose their eternal souls if they die with an incorrect understanding of the gospel. When Jude, in the second to last book of the Bible, warns us that false teachers will creep into the church, he describes those false teachers with almost these very same words from Psalm chapter 12. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage are the words that Jude uses. These teachers are not only going to condemn themselves, they drag others into the fires of hell along with them. So when we consider the damage that deceivers can do with the tongue, David's harsh words make more sense. The stakes are so high that the punishment must fit the crime. And here's the thing. We can't just apply these standards of justice to others without looking at ourselves. We can't just think, oh, this evil going on, there's evil going on out there, and it's those other people that are doing bad things. But we need to recognize the times when we are at fault. And God does not want to see those things happening in our lives either. We need him to deal with us and bring us closer with him and sanctify us by the power of his Holy Spirit. According to James, our tongue is a restless evil that makes great boasts. But we have to remember, God will not only righteously judge those out there, but also us in here. He will look at us and hold us to a high standard as his children. So David wants God to deal righteously with those who are dishing out flattery, boasting, and pride. And what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us to ask God to intervene in these matters? Well, like I mentioned before, we can bring our struggles before the Lord. We can ask God to take care of these things. So when we see injustice in the world, we should bring that before God. We should recognize when we need God to work also in our own hearts. We need God to intervene in our lives, thankfully through the work of Jesus Christ and our souls. God made a way for us not to be cut off from God, not to be cut off from his people, not to deserve death any longer as a consequence for our sin. Through faith in Jesus, this is the good news, this is the gospel. Through faith in Jesus and repentance from our sin, God creates in us, in Christians, a clean heart that no longer deserves judgment from God, the judgment that we earned for ourselves. Let's praise God for that salvation. Let's praise God that he is able to save us from our own wrongdoing and ask God to deal also with the wrongs in our world. So, the first biblical response that we can take when we encounter evil is to speak honestly to God about that evil, 
The second response that we can have is to ask God to intervene. The third biblical response to evil is to trust God to define and carry out pure justice. Trust God to define and to carry out pure justice. You know, a few days ago, I was with my family. We were all having a great time. Uh, The cousins were running around and playing with toys, doing some make-believe, and uh, having a great time. But uh, I noticed something very interesting. Calvin, my two-year-old son, uh, was standing there, was playing with one of his cousins. Uh, And I'm not sure if it was on purpose or if it was an accident, but uh, she bumped into Calvin or she pushed him. I'm not sure which. And I was really interested to see how Calvin would respond, because I've told him before, you can come to me, I will help you. And without fail, he turned around, his eyes locked in with mine, and with total sincerity and total earnest, he said to me, she pushed me, she pushed me. Now he knew in that moment that I was the authority in the room, that I was the one there that could make this right, that could take care of what had gone wrong. And he knew that he could look to me and say, I know that my dad, my father, will deal with this. You know, that's the same way that we should be with our God. That's the same way we should be with our Heavenly Father. We can turn to God, the perfect and holy judge of all things. We can turn to him and trust that his definition of justice is the right one. We can trust that he will not let evil occur without addressing it. And that's what David says in this psalm. We can turn, in a sense, lock eyes with God and with all sincerity and all earnest, trust that he knows and cares about the injustice. Let's take a look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Because the poor are plundered, Because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver, refined in a fire on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. In verse 5, the poor and the needy are mentioned. This is a familiar groups of people. The Israelites would have known about this, and true Israelites would have not oppressed, but would have cared for them, just as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and chapter 24. To oppress them arouses God to action. God will not hold back his righteous response. God's ways are above our ways. Nothing escapes the focus of his eyes. In his timing, in his holy plan and purpose, in his manner, God will judge those who oppress the needy and the poor. At times, God provides that justice, a part of that justice here and now. We're thankful for that. We should ask for that just as David does. Sometimes God invites us to be a part of that. Sometimes God invites us to be a part of the justice and mercy that is carried out here on earth. 
Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. God gives us opportunity to be advocates for those who are needy and poor. And he also speaks about this in Micah 6, verse 8. He says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And we see this also in the New Testament. Jesus calls us to mirror his heart for justice as well. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, it says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. When God opens doors for us to take a stand for the vulnerable, we should take that stand. When God opens those doors, we should walk through. Other evil will be dealt with in the final judgment. Verse 8 leaves us with the hard reality that sin will continue to plague our world until the return of Christ. Though for a time the wicked are exalted at times in this fallen world, God's covenantal protection of his people will last from generation to generation. So even when you Or when I, as believers, feel overwhelmed by evil, when we're disheartened, when we're disillusioned, when we are tired, this psalm will lead us to the only one who can save. In the meantime, Christ's promise of justice from Revelation 22, verse 12, provides hope for the future return of Christ. says this, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. God means what he says. His words are completely true. This psalm closes with the assurance that God will protect his faithful followers even in the face of evil. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? We see these hard things in the world The Bible tells us that David's response to the hardships he was facing turned in faith to God. It's not a comfortable response. It's not an easy response to the things going on in our world, to see them, to recognize them, and acknowledge them to the Lord. Bring them before him. This lament is a response that turns to God in honesty and trust. So let's take this to heart. The next time that we encounter evil in our world, take that first point. Speak honestly to God about the evil. He wants to hear our struggle. He wants to hear our pain. Secondly, ask God to intervene. He cares more than we can imagine. Third, trust God to define and to carry out pure justice. The God who poured our punishment onto his own son so that he could forgive us of our sin, so that Jesus could be the one that died in our place, he stands forever as a holy, a pure, a righteous God for all of eternity. 
Just as I said before, when God opens the door for us to care for the vulnerable in our world, we should walk through that door. With the story I told you at the beginning about the teacher and about the pastor who is also a principal, they were ready. They were ready to walk through that door to stand for the vulnerable. They took that step and God used them in a powerful way change that girl's life forever. We can do the same. When we encounter evil, we can turn to God and trust Him with everything.